Today, I want to preach on definition number three, and this is the last definition of revolution. It's not the end of our series, but I do want to talk to you about definition number three, and I want you to pray for me as we preach today, because I had a good time at nine o'clock. And I got to confess, I don't have a lot left over for y'all. I kind of gave them everything. And so uh, we're going to have to ask Jesus to make much of crumbs this morning. Last time I checked, he fed a whole multitude with a sack of lunch. I'm pretty sure he can help us out with some crumbs. Definition number three, revolution means to encircle or come back to the place of beginning. It means to start over again. Now, don't you miss that. You need to let that jump on you because there's something there what I just said. A revolution means to encircle, to make a revolution means to come back, listen to this, to the place of beginning, to start over again. Luke chapter 24, it is Easter Sunday morning, Christ has risen from the grave He has been declared alive by the angels and the testimony of several women. The disciples find themselves in a perplexed and bewildered place for they cannot find Christ nor his body. And they don't know what to think of these findings. Verse 13, look at this. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. What things? Well, their king, their promised Messiah, has been betrayed, falsely accused, convicted of crimes he did not commit, has suffered torturously at the hands of of Roman soldiers and has now been executed by Roman capital punishment, that of crucifixion, and he has been killed. And now word is that he is alive and they don't know what to think and they're talking about all these things that have happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communication are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Look with me again at verse number 13 quickly. Look at this. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus which was from Jerusalem, where they were, where everything had transpired, where they were beginning with God, the very launching pad of his kingdom and ministry, and they said, the heck with it. They have pulled up their tent stakes from Jerusalem, and they head into Emmaus. Seven and a half miles down the road they go. And the story... And this context concludes in verse 33. They rose up the same hour. Look at this in verse 33. And they returned to Jerusalem. 
and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them. Verse 13, they're leaving Jerusalem, heading to Emmaus. 20 verses later, they're leaving Emmaus and heading back to Jerusalem. Every day, somebody walks away from Jesus. Every day, somebody pulls away. Somebody turns away. Every day, somebody drifts away from Jesus. Every day, people fall out of love with their first love. Jesus criminally charged the church in Revelation 2, the church of Ephesus, and he said, you have left your first love. You hate religion. You labor in your works. Y'all got all kind of patience, but I, I got a problem with y'all, Ephesus. You've left your first love. I understand that in the last days, Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica, and he says that before the Antichrist appears on the scene, there's a falling away first. There's a state of apostasy that presents itself where people turn from the faith and turn from the roots of Christianity and turn from the person of Christ. Now, we can argue all day long. I can pull up a chair. We can have a theological debate on the eschatology of the matter, and we can debate, and we can theoretical philosophy on whether or not that falling away happens before the rapture of the church or whether it happens after the rapture of the church during the tribulation period. Nonetheless, what I do know is there is a falling away that's going to happen with the Christian circles and the camps of our churches and stuff like that. But may I say, I don't think that we have to wait until the very last paragraph of the last chapter to see that spirit presenting itself in modern day Christianity for that is happening even now. People are pulling off the beaten path with God. They are walking away from their Jerusalem, so to speak. They are getting far removed from their starting point, their starting block, the place of beginning that they had with God. And we see people falling away. Now, here's the reality. Some people aren't going anywhere physically. People still attend church in the South because, after all, isn't that what we're supposed to do? That's what grandma did. That's what mama taught us. And you know what? We ought to go over there and pay the big man upstairs a visit to his house and let us get checked off the list on Sunday because that's what you do. Jesus is a good old side garnish on the entree of our life. We're the center of the plate. And you know, it looks good to have God in your life. It looks good to have church in your life. So God forbid we not go to church. Let's go to church. A lot of people have got their butt in a seat and that's it. They may be there 52 weeks a year, but they ain't been there all year. I wish somebody talked to me this morning. Talk to me now. See, I, I think that we have people getting removed from what got them started. You can be in church on Sunday, but nowhere near God all week long. People are finding themselves being lured away by the gravity of this world. And I think as a church collectively, I think people are more distracted than they've ever been. We're like Lot pitching our tent and our attention towards Sodom. And that, that biblical Las Vegas is pulling at us with persuasion. And there's a draw on the things of the world. And the church is looking more horizontal than it is vertical. And we are more distracted than we've ever been with the things of this world. And now the world, Egypt itself, has sipped, seeped into the very corridors of Christianity. And now the church looks more like the world than it does the body of Christ and 
we've become so distracted that we've now been infected by the influence that was meant to be something we were separated from. I think as the church collectively, we're more divided than we've ever been. We can't, we can't seem to agree on anything. No wonder there's a million different denominations. No wonder all the churches do their own little separate thing on their parcel of land in Jackson and Banks County. The preachers can't play in the sandbox together. People can't fellowship and worship one with another. We'll have a fifth Wednesday. We'll have a fifth Sunday. We'll invite other churches. We'll ask other people. But the reality is a lot of times everything is just segregated. Everything is cornered off to itself in Christianity. People splitting hairs over the dumbest things, dividing over things and being at variance one with another over things that don't mean a hill of beans. Isn't it crazy? We can't worship the God of the ages because we don't see eye to eye on every jot and tittle of God's word. There are things I believe I've got to see you stand on. We have got to be on the pillars of the faith and the principles of God's word and the essentials of the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ. But I'm going to tell you something, honey. I ain't going to split hairs over you if you disagree with me about certain areas of Paul's letters. I ain't going to get at odds with you over who wrote the book of Hebrews. I ain't going to get odds with you over whether you think there's a rapture or no rapture. I ain't got time to distance myself from you. One thing I've noticed about satanic enemies and satanic entities, they have order and they don't ever deal with division. Jesus even addressed that when they, when they told him it was the, he was the prince of devils, Beelzebub, casting out devils. He said, a house divided cannot stand. You won't ever find in the word of God a demon at odds with another demon. You'll never find a demon at fighting against another demon. Yet in the church of the living God, we got people alienated one from another, treating each other like enemies. We got committees upon committees, and we split down the middle. No wonder there ain't no power in the church. No wonder there ain't no pop in the preaching, and there ain't no work of the Spirit of God in our churches. We can't agree over nothing. Let me tell you something. Sometimes Christian maturity has got to get to a point where you agree to disagree. The kingdom is too too close. Heaven is too high. Hell is too hot. People need the Lord. We've got the word and we know it's truth. I ain't got time to fight with you. I'm trying to fight an enemy I can't even see. I ain't got time to be at odds with you over what you believe and what I believe. If you want to know the truth, hang around here for a while and you'll find out we probably don't agree on everything together. We'll split hairs if you get down to it. I ain't going to do everything you like. I ain't going to preach everything you think and I ain't going to say everything you believe but we've been in, we've been given a mission from the father we ain't got time to be squabbling we ain't got time to be biting we ain't got time to be dividing there's a world that needs Jesus and we need to get locked loaded and serious about what's at stake I ain't got time to fight about, fight about gifts of the Spirit with you. I ain't got time to fight about what level of heaven we're in now. I ain't got time to fight with you about what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. I ain't got time to fight with you about whether or not I'm qualified to preach the gospel. I ain't got time to fight with you about that joke. We're divided more than we've ever been. Wonder why we can't get a holy hoot of the Holy Ghost. He'll only go where he's invited, and he don't show up where people are divided. Somebody say amen. amen. We're more distant than we've ever been. We're like Simon Peter during the trial. We're following Jesus afar off. 
How's that long distance relationship with God working for you? Huh? My God. I feel like a lot of us have been in 20, I don't know about you, 2019 kicked a you know what out of me. You know what can mean whatever it meant to you. It whooped my tail. I found myself in a place just like these two guys, just disconnected, getting far removed from the roots that fed me and blessed me. These guys are, these guys are like, all right, I'm done. I don't want anything to do with anything that looks, smells, or sounds like the kingdom or the king. I'm getting out of Jerusalem. Little did they know, Jerusalem would be the very launching pad where he would send them into ministry orbit. They said, I, I got to get away from it. Let's just go to Emmaus. They were, so, they were so disconnected. They were so disillusioned. The Bible even says that he joined them on the way to Emmaus and their eyes were holding that they didn't even know it was him. The one they can't find in the tomb is walking down the dirt road with them. He's right in their life working, but they can't see it. Right under your nose, there he is. And you can't even recognize the answer to your question, the solution to your problem, and God's working in the invisible domain on your behalf, yet it don't look like you think it should look. They were discouraged. It's the real, it's the real driving force away from Jerusalem is they were discouraged. They're moping, sulking, kicking rocks. Everybody that reads this story thinks it's two men. I don't think that. I think it's a man and a woman. Because we end up finding out one of, the, one of the people's names is Cleophas. And if you read another gospel account, this old guy named Cleophas gets connected to a woman who's identified as the wife of Cleophas. I think husband and wife are walking away from Jerusalem. I really didn't think it was going to turn out like this. I really believed every word he said. I thought he was the one. I thought that everything he said he was going to do for Israel, he was going to do it. Jesus slips into the conversation. What's wrong with y'all? Why are y'all so sad? Are, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Have you, do you not know what's going on the last couple of days? What things? Not like he doesn't know the answer. He just wants to hear you confess it. They said, J Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, it's interesting that he's not now identified as Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. Now he's just, oh, Jesus from Nazareth. Joseph's boy, that carpenter. It's funny how they responded and limited his deity in one statement. He was a prophet. I thought he was God. But he's just a prophet now. We trusted you read it. It's in there. They use past tense words like had been and we trusted. Past tense. 
Our faith was anchored in the assurance of his promises, but we were there. We saw the cat of nine tails cut him open. We saw him plait a crown of thorns upon his brow. We saw the blood run red down his body and stain Calvary's cross. We saw him die. We watched them take his body off that cross. And when he died, our dreams died. Our hope died. Our faith died. They killed more than a man. They killed our future. Ain't it funny how when God don't do what you thought he should have done the way you thought he should have done it, Oh, I wish somebody talked to me. Ain't it crazy how you and I have got this mold of understanding that we rip God out of heaven and pour his infinite knowledge, wisdom, and understanding into and say, if you don't do it like this, then it ain't you doing it. They're walking away, disconnected, disillusioned, and just absolutely discouraged. And I didn't come over here to get y'all depressed. I didn't come over here to make y'all want to drink, smoke, or pop pills. I came over here to put a smile on your face and encourage you and tell you, although these two believers were disconnected and disillusioned and ultimately discouraged, my Bible tells me that Jesus himself drew near to where they were. <laughs> Even though they were not walking in the right direction, even though they were not supporting the right agenda, even though they had given up on him, I want to report to you that he had not given up on them. My Bible says that Jesus himself drew near. He could have sent an angel, but he didn't. He could have sent a preacher, but he didn't. He could have sent a messenger, but he didn't. He could have sent a prophet, but he didn't. My Bible tells me that Jesus himself drew near. And I want to tell you, I don't care how far you are removed from where you started. I don't care how far you're removed from where you began. I don't care if you have lost your first love and fell off the God radar. I want to serve notice on the devil and tell all of his people, you serve a God that'll trail you like a coon dog that picked up a noonday scent. I want to tell you, you have a God who will draw nigh to you when you walk away from him. There's no place in your past that he could not follow you. You couldn't lock him out of a detox room you couldn't lock him out of a jail cell you couldn't lock him out of rehab you couldn't lock him out of a courthouse you couldn't lock him out of alcoholism you couldn't lock him out of an addiction you couldn't lock him out of your sexuality you couldn't lock him out of your discouragement I wish I had somebody in this room that wanted to help me preach this thing if you know we serve a God that'll draw near and even now in this room you're here today I want to tell you you're not alone. Where two or three are gathered together in my name. He said, I'll be there in the midst of them. Honey, I want to tell you something. There's a God hot on your trail right now at 11 a.m. 
3-7-3, Pottery Factory Drive, Commerce, Georgia, 30529. He don't need MapQuest. He don't need Google Maps. He don't need Siri. He don't need a GPS. He's got the latitude, the longitude. He knows where you've been. He knows where you are, and he knows where you're going. I wish I had somebody in the room ready to help me preach this thing. If you know Jesus himself drew near. You came in on the run. You're in retreat mode. But I want to tell you there's a God in this room. He has sniffed you out. He's about to treat you with Holy Ghost conviction. You can't shake him. You can't lose him. You can't get away from him. He's on the left hand and the right hand. If you back up, you'll find him there. If you go forward, you'll find him there. He is Jesus. And he's in this room. Somebody give him praise. My God. I got to call a timeout. I got to call a timeout. It was one thing when he paid me a visit and saved me the first time. It was another thing when he followed me into the dark, when he followed me into hell, when he followed me into stupid, when he followed me into dumb. Do I got anybody in the room that's grateful and glad you've got a God that followed you? Yeah, praise God for all that. I've decided to follow Jesus. What about the times you decide to walk away from him, yet he followed you when you had no interest? No interest in him. Somebody give him praise one more time. Come on. Y'all gotta sit down so I can get to this sermon. Y'all ought not act like that. I don't understand why you're so into it. Because when I was out of him, he was into me. Just didn't work out. I tried it. I tried. I did what I tried. I prayed that prayer. I tried. I did all I went to church. I tried it. Three and a half years, I tried it. Just didn't work. What's going on, fellas? I want to tell you, Jesus is here today to take you back. Yeah, I'm going to mess you up. He's here to take you back. He's here to take you back to where you started. He's here to take you back to where you began. He's got plans for you in Jerusalem. And he's here to take you back. Somebody say, Jesus, take me back. Take me back. Take me back. I believe we are in a season at New Grace where God has taken us back. Taken us back to some roots that we've forgotten. Taken us back to some places that at one time were dear to us. And taken us back to a love that has grown cold. Where and how does Jesus take us back, Pastor D? I'm glad you asked me that. Verse 25, the Bible says this. He said unto them, oh my, oh my, look at this. So much for the, 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 the polite cushion the blow. Fools 
and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? This was supposed to happen. You didn't hear me. I said this was supposed to happen. This had to happen. For him to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. How does Jesus take me back? Well, the first thing is he'll take me back to the book. He'll take me back to the book. The Bible says that Jesus landed in all the scriptures. He took them back to the word. He took them back to the text. He took them back to God's scriptures. Now let me go ahead and say this. Jesus did not have on hand a copy of the 1611 King James Bible. Jesus did not have hot off the press a copy of the CSB Bible. In fact, Jesus didn't even have a copy of the New Testament because it was not yet written. They were living what would be written. In fact, I don't believe Jesus even had a scroll of the Old Testament because he didn't need it. I don't think the author who wrote it, who memorized it and can't forget it, would have needed a manuscript to keep up with it. But the Bible says that he took them to the scriptures and expounded unto them all things concerning himself. You say, how do you know he took them to the Old Testament? Because the Bible says that he started at Moses and the prophets. The first five books of your Old Testament were written by Moses. The minor and major prophets make up the prophets. And you and I have Moses. We have all of the historical books. And we have the minor and the major prophets that make up the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi. We have the Old Testament in the canon of God's holy word. And Jesus said, let me take y'all back to the book. And in taking them back to the book, he said, I'm going to take you back to myself. You say, how do you know that, Pastor D? Because the Bible says that he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Do you know what I believe Jesus did when he took them to that Old Testament scripture? I believe it was like showing them a pop-up book. Y'all remember pop-up books? Pop-up books. You can open up a pop-up book and the more you unfold it, that 3D illustrated content pops right up off the page and you can look and visualize what it is you're reading. Do you know page by page, paragraph by paragraph, verse by verse, word by word, and letter by letter, you'll find Jesus everywhere from Genesis to Malachi. You say, Pastor D, I've looked at Genesis and I read all the way to Malachi and I never saw the name Jesus. You don't have to see J-E-S-U-S in that Old Testament to see Jesus. I think as they walked down that Emmaus Road, Jesus put his arms over both of them men and I believe he told them, he said, you don't have any clue who you're talking to. 
you think that I've left you and you think that he's dead but I want to tell you what the Old Testament said about him and when he said about him he was talking about himself he said do you remember in Genesis chapter 1 when God said let us make man in our own image he said who do you think God was talking to when he said let us let us let us make man in our own image he said I want you to know that Jesus that you're worried about that Jesus that you're grieving about that Jesus that you're mourning about he said that Jesus was part of the Godhead Trinity and when God said let us he was talking about the Father he was talking about the Spirit and he was talking about the Son and I believe Jesus took him in Genesis I believe he dropped that thing in a sixth gear and I believe we see Jesus preaching Jesus oh I wish I could have been a fly on the wall down the Emmaus road to hear Jesus preach Jesus I believe he took them into the garden of Eden after the fall of man and I believe Jesus told them he said you know that seed of a woman that the Bible says the serpent would bruise his heel he said well if you read a little bit later the Bible says that seeds are coming and that seeds gonna crush his head he said that seed of the woman you're looking at him he said Genesis chapter 22 when the Bible says that Abraham found a ram caught by the thicket in its horns a thicket is made of thorns and the thorns were around his head and the Bible says that ram was offered as a sacrifice in the stead of Isaac I believe Jesus said I wasn't just a son and the seed of the woman I'm also that ram on Mount Moriah I believe he said I'm typified as Joseph that's right Joseph I'm typified as Joseph he came unto his own and his own received him not he was despised and rejected by his brethren he was stripped of his garments he was sold for silver they all thought he was dead but they found out later that he wasn't dead that he was alive and they found out he ain't just alive but he also reigns and he doesn't just reign but he's also Lord and if you read the back of the story you found out when they got before Joseph they all bowed down on their face and they all said that you are Lord I believe in Exodus he is the Passover lamb with the blood smote upon the door I believe he's the pillar of cloud by day and fire by night I'm talking about Jesus I believe in Exodus chapter number 17 he is the rock in the wilderness that gave them living water I believe in Leviticus he is the great high priest I believe he's the offering too I believe in numbers he's the star of Jacob and the brazen serpent in Deuteronomy he's the great lawgiver in Joshua he's the captain of the Lord's host in Judges he's the messenger of the Lord in Ruth he's the kinsman redeemer in Samuel he's the anointed son of David in Kings he's the king of all kings in Chronicles he's the God of our fathers in Ezra he's the Lord of heaven and the Lord of earth in Nehemiah he's a covenant keeper in Job he is the risen and returning redeemer in Psalms he's the anointed son the good shepherd and the king of all glory in Proverbs he's the wisdom of God in Solomon he's the chief among 10,000 for my soul he's a rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley in the prophets he's Emmanuel he's wonderful he's counselor he's governor he's prince of peace man of sorrows weeping prophet he's the wheel in the middle of the wheel he's the son of man 
the baptizer with the Holy Spirit, the burden bearer, the cry for revival, the pierced son, the son of righteousness. I believe he cleared off a spot on Emmaus Road and he said, I'm Jehovah. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah Shalom. I am Jehovah Shalom. I'm Elohim. I'm not the great I was. I'm not the great I will be. I'm the great I am. I'm first. I'm last. I'm he that was dead and is alive. I'm the lamb. I'm the bread. I'm the door. I am he who lives forevermore. I am God. I am Jesus. Do you know him this morning? He's not just Lord. He's Lord of Lords. He's not just a king. He's king of kings. Somebody better help me praise him if you know that's who he is. And he's in the room right now. I said he's in the room right now. He's here to accept whoever will. He's here to wash sin. He's here to raise the dead. He's here to change lives. He's here to take you to glory. Somebody better help me preach this thing. If you know the great I am is. The whole boy, the whole book points to him. You can't get him off your heads. You can't get him out of your mind. My God, I wish somebody helped me preach this thing. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. You can't impeach him, and he ain't ever going to resign. He's here to stay forevermore. He's God all by himself. Take me back to the book. That's why we preach the book. That's why we preach the book. That's why we preach the book. We'll always have cool seating. We'll always have some trendy lights. We'll always have a bumping, thumping sound system. We'll always make church look like it's 21st century. But you better believe this, honey. If you want to know where my roots run, they run back to a book. A book that bleeds red. A book that points me to Jesus. The old story, bless God, tell it to me again. If John 3.16 was good enough for John, it's good enough for me. I want to know what's the big deal. It's still Jesus and you got to take me to the book. He took him to the book. He took him to the book. He took him to the book. Verse 28, they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. God ain't Jesus smooth. Seven and a half miles. And Jesus is preaching Jesus out of the Old Testament to them. He doesn't lift these boys up. And they finally get to the village wherein they're going. Seven and a half miles he's been preaching to them. Y'all think I preach long. You ever walk seven and a half miles? That's a long sermon. By the time they get to the house, they go into the residence, and the Bible says Jesus made as though he would have gone further. We have a God who wants you to want him. We have a God who loves you to love him. The Bible says when they got in the house, Jesus acted like he was going further. I, I think he was looking out of the corner of his eye. They went in the house, and he's like, all right, I'll see you later. 
And the Bible said, they said, whoa, whoa, hey, 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 where, where, where are you going? I, I, I'm just going to continue on my journey. They said, what? And the Bible says they constrained him, which is a respectful way of saying, hey, don't, don't go nowhere. Don't, don't, don't leave. Abide with us. Oh, God, I wish I had time to work that right now. Stay right here. Don't leave. Don't leave. We done got used to your presence. We don't, we, don't, we don't really know who you are, where you came from, but wherever you're going, you can go there later. Stay right here with us. I mean, it's almost six o'clock. The day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. Look at verse number 30. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. <laughs> Hang on a second. I thought this was their house. Why is he serving? <laughs> this is the, Can you see that? They walk in the house and he's like, y'all have a seat. And they're like, are, are you sure? Are we going to talk some more? Yeah, y'all have a seat. I'm going to make us some lunch. And Jesus just knows his way around their kitchen. I bet they were thinking, how does he know where all the stuff is? How did he know where that Tupperware was? And how did he know where the glasses were? How, do, how does he know what we have in our fridge? How does he know what we have in our pantry? This man just is helping himself around the house and seems to know where everything is. He's serving them. And then Luke tells us something interesting that strikes a significance with the reader. He says that he took bread. Everybody say bread. And he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. He didn't just take them to the book. Jesus, take me back to the bread. You say, Pastor D, you're going to have to explain. Hang in there. I'm about to unfold this for you and unpack this. The bread had a striking significance for these disciples because the bread hit a familiar root with them. For this was not the first time they'd ever seen Jesus take bread and bless it and break it. And I wonder if their minds went back to a story we read about in John 6 where Jesus preached a sermon and the Bible says that 5,000, beside the 5,000 men, not including the women and children, probably 12 to 15,000 people gathered on the hillside. Jesus preached a sermon, and the disciples were about to send the multitude away hungry. And Jesus said, don't send them away. Make them sit down. We're going to have lunch right here. And they said, how, how do you suppose we feed these people? Seeing how we ain't got the bread and we ain't got the money. Judas, we got the money. And Judas is like. <laughs> we ain't got it. And Jesus said, tell him to sit down. And then Philip had been inventorying the situation. And in his little seed-like faith, he comes over with a small boy who had a sack lunch prepared by his mama. And he says, this lad here has five loaves. And two fishes, but what are they among so many? And the Bible says that Jesus took that boy's lunch. He didn't evaluate it whether or not it was qualified 
to feed the multitude. He he didn't assess it whether or not it was sufficient based on anybody else's standards. In fact, he even deafened his ears to the proclamation of Philip that it wasn't enough. I got to call a timeout and say, I'm glad Jesus didn't listen to all the people that said I didn't have enough bread to feed nobody. I remember when I was like that little boy holding out my sack lunch at the age of 18 going, if you can use anything, I know it ain't much. And everybody else is telling me I should just keep it to myself. And everybody else is telling me I should just eat it. This was meant for me. But what I realized what was meant for me is really meant for you. And I know it's only five loaves and two fishes. Looks like something that fell out of a Captain D's basket. But I want to give it to you because I heard about what you can do. And I believe if you could do anything with this right here, I'd love to play a part in whatever you have planned. So I'm willing to give my lunch over. Does anybody remember when you handed your lunch over and and you said, God, if you can break my bread and bless it, here am I. And Jesus took that boy's lunch and he blessed it and he broke it. And then some supernatural way, he fed every person on the hillside. Perhaps when Jesus pulled out this bread, He blessed it and he broke it. Perhaps it took their mind back to not just the moment where God used them, but the miracles that God did that amazed them. Oh my God, you you don't recognize some of the miracles that are seated in this auditorium even now. So you and I, when we hear the word miracle, we automatically default to the physical. And I know that my God can do above and beyond that which we even ask or think. I know he's a healer. I know he's a water walker. I know he's a stone roller. I believe that. But may I say some of the greatest miracles are the internal transformations that have happened from my left all the way to my right. Oh my God, some of y'all didn't hear what I said. Some of the greatest miracles are sitting in chairs right now hearing me preach. Do you remember what you were before Jesus reached into your life and turned it all around? Do you know what kind of living, breathing, testifying, God-fearing, Bible-thumping, devil-chasing miracle you are? Have you forgotten the miracles God's worked in your life? Have you forgotten some of the chains he broke, some of the mindsets he transformed, some of the differences that God made? Have you forgotten about the doors he's opened, the walls he knocked down? Have you forgotten about the waves that he calmed and the rain that he saw? Have you forgotten about the miracles that God's worked in your life? I'm looking around this room real good right now and I'm seeing some miracles. I'm seeing some living proof that there is a God. Some of y'all forgot what you used to. You was a hoe-chasing, free-basing, cocaine-sniffing, beer-drinking, hell-living devil when Jesus found you. But he pulled you out of the gutter. He put a call on your life, put blood covenant upon you, and God made a difference in you, you're a miracle. You're a miracle. Greater works. Greater works will these do. 
He he pulled that bread out and they said, oh God, that looks familiar. That looks familiar. And he broke it. Say he broke it. He broke it. And I believe when he broke it, their mind went back to John 12 and John 13 where the 12 were gathered at a table with Jesus. You and I know it as the Last Supper. Sadly, we reminisce and picture a painting in our mind by Leonardo rather than the actual text of the story. The Bible says that Jesus at the Last Supper took bread. Watch this. And when he blessed it, the Bible says he broke it. And when he broke it, he said, this is my body. God, help me, Jesus. He said, this is my body, which was broken, which was broken for you. Take and eat. This this is my body, which was broken for you. I want to tell you something. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus and you've never been saved, I want to say he went through hell for you. Oh my God, you may, you may be religious and you may be churchy and you, you, you may be close but not in. I want to tell you something. There was a God that loved you so much that he became, he became sin for you. He became your sin. I want you to look up here and listen to me. He became your sin. He became your darkest secret, your darkest moment, your darkest night, your lowest place. He became that for you. He who knew no sin. He was a perfect, uh, spotless, unblemished lamb. He had no record of sin in his life and he became sin for you and he was crucified for you. He died for you. And I believe when Jesus broke this bread, it took their mind back to a time when the bread was broken for them on the cross. Look what the Bible says. Notice this next verse. It says, go, go, to, the, go to the part where he broke the bread, he blessed it, he gave it to them. Look, he gave it to them. Look at verse 31. And Their eyes were opened. Stay with me now. I'm not done. I'm not done. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. So he has preached himself to them out of the Old Testament. He has broken bread and given it to them. And in that moment, the Bible says that their eyes were opened and they knew him. And boom, he vanished out of their sight. (laughs) I have... Scratched my head for years trying to wonder and think on what was it that made it click in their head? That was him. The whole time, the whole, the whole time that was him. And we didn't even know it, but it was him. I used to think it was when he was preaching himself to him going down the road. Or maybe, maybe it was the way the house felt when he stepped inside. Or maybe it was when he took the bread out and he blessed it. Oh my God, they've heard him pray before. Maybe it was the way he prayed. The Bible says in chronological order, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave it to them. And when he gave it to them, When he gave it to them, their eyes were opened. 
I imagine as the guest of honor, Jesus is seated in between both of Cleopas and his wife. And he takes a piece of bread that he's prepared. And as he prays, he says, amen. And he breaks it, one on one side, one on the other side. And he hands the bread to this one. And he hands the bread to this one. And I just, I just wonder if when he handed the bread to him, the sleeve of his robe rolled up. I, I just wonder if he stretched out a little bit on purpose. When he handed them that bread, and as they took that bread out of his hand, they looked down, and they saw the nail prints in his wrist, and he vanished out of their sight. Could it be that Jesus went out of his way to reveal himself and vanished out of their sight? What got him back to the beginning? What did Jesus do to take him back? He took him to the book. He took him to the bread. But notice our closing text. When he vanished out of their sight, notice what it says in the next verse. And they said one to another. There they are sitting on either side of where he was, looking at each other. I mean, he's there. Think about it now. They take the bread. They see his hand. They look at him. Boom, he's gone. And they're looking at each other. And they said, are you feeling what I'm feeling? Cleo, Cleo, are you, are you feeling what I'm feeling? He said, yeah, Ethel, I'm feeling it too. Her name's Ethel. It is today. He said, yeah. I think I got heartburn. I think I, I got a case of holy, heavenly heartburn. And here's how he takes you back to the beginning. He'll take you back to the burn. He'll take you back to the burn of your heart. Can I say to you and submit that this is all a matter of the heart? The reason you left Jerusalem to begin with was a matter of the heart. The reason you were walking in the wrong direction was a matter of the heart. The reason you walked in this morning feeling like you were feeling, thinking what you've been thinking and saying what you've been saying is all a matter of the heart. And I want to tell you this, God is after your heart. I wish somebody helped me preach this thing. God is after your heart. God wants your heart. God cares about your heart. In fact, the Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible tells us to keep, to guard, to protect our heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. God is after your heart. In fact, God looks at your heart. God does not look at the outside of a man. God looks at the inside of a man. God looks upon the heart. You and I, when we see one another, we see the heart, but the re we see the outside, but the reality is God sees the heart. He sees past the facade of your flesh. You can dress it up. You can spice it up. You can paint it up. You can 
puff it up. You can do all those things you want to do, but you're still a box in which God peers deep inside, piercing the dividing asunder of your soul and spirit, seeing your heart for what it really is. Your heart is your integrity. Your heart is your true identity. Your heart is your true intention. Your heart is your motive. If you want to know a man, don't look at his shoes. If you want to know somebody, don't look at their clothes. Don't look at their car. Don't look at their house. Look at the heart. The heart is the true litmus test of who you really are. The heart is what God's looking at. And the Bible says that Jesus lit their hearts on fire. They said, do you feel what I feel? Do you have what I have? No, honey, I don't need any Tums. I got a case of heartburn. My heart is burning for him. Can I submit to you that this season that we are in, coming out of 2019, God has take, taken your pastor and his wife, and he has set our heart ablaze. I'm feeling flames, and I'm fanning a fire I haven't had in years. Now, you might not be able to tell it. You might not think it, but I want to tell you something. The way I'm preaching, the way I'm praying, the way I'm it ain't no act. I could care less if you see it. I don't care if it blesses you I don't care if it bothers you because the reality is this burn in me is a fire that God has stirred it's been a long time coming and I don't really care to preach without this fire stirred in me I don't care to pray without this fire stirred in me I don't care to lead without this fire stirred in me I don't want to go through the motions I don't want to just act like this is practice or dress rehearsal I I want this thing to get all over me. But before it can get all over me, it's got to get all in me. And it's been so long. I've preached without that fire. I've prayed without that fire. I've led. Heck, anybody can fake it till you make it. Anybody can go through the motions without you feeling that. And I know it ain't about the way you feel. I know we live by faith and it ain't about feeling. But you got to admit, it feels real good when it feels real good. It feels good when you feel God. It feels good when it gets all over you. It feels good when it gets stirred in you. Some of you been sitting there a long time. I don't know whether you're asleep or dead, but I want to tell you something. God brought this church into the season we're in to shake you up from the inside out and stir the fire of God inside of you. Anything soaked in a natural oil is very, very flammable. And the day you got saved, you got soaked with a natural oil of anointing, the Holy Spirit of God, and honey, you're kindling wood. You're combustible and you're flammable. And if you get somewhere close to the fire honey it'll start something in you it'll stir something in you no doubt about it you'll have to shout it does anybody in the room know what I'm preaching when I say there's a burn on the inside and a fire stirred in me somebody give him praise I'm stirred I'm stirred I'm stirred I'm stirred when we were growing up, them long winter weekend nights, my daddy would build a fire in the house. Not very often, but every now and then it'd get cold enough, we could build a fire in the house. It was a big event at 1291 Beach Nut Lane, Watkinsville, Georgia. Me and my brothers didn't bother playing in the basement. We didn't bother playing in our rooms. We didn't bother playing outside. If there was a fire in the house... You could count on us. We would gather around that fireplace and watch daddy light that thing up. 
And we'd sit in that living room. We'd watch television. We'd wrestle in the floor. We'd do whatever. We'd dance to all kind of music. We'd dance to Barry White and the Bee Gees and Vince Gill and, and, and Two Live Crew. Yeah, we would. Yeah, we would. We'd get in there and book it, boogie and break it down. And after a couple hours, you could look over in that fireplace and that fire that burned ablaze and burned hot lit up the whole room. After a few hours, there was no more smoke. There was no more flame. And from where I was sitting, it looked like the fire was gone. I could even get close to it and couldn't tell that there was one there before. Just the embers, the leftover, the remnants, the memory of what just burned bright. And as we would begin to disband from that living room, my dad would come in there. He'd get him a poker. He'd say, oh, hey, 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 that fire ain't out. Yeah, 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 it is. Yeah, it is. It's, it's gone. I can't feel it. I can't see it. He'd say, no, 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 you, you don't understand. Get back now. Get back. What do you mean get back? Just get back. Get back. Get in your house. Get back. And he'd take that poker and he'd stick that thing in that fireplace. And he'd start poking those ashes. And he'd start poking those embers. And there'd be a little glow. <laughs> a little glow. And he'd, he'd, reach, he'd reach way down and stir the bottom of it up. Laura, give me a log. Give me that Oconee Enterprise, and he'd throw that junk in there. He'd go to poking, and he, and he wouldn't stop stirring until that thing came back to life. I said, you didn't hear me. I said he wouldn't stop stirring until that thing came back to life. And boy, before you know it, that fire would be burning bright. And me and my brothers would be sitting there in the living room in front of that fireplace. Them flames would be jumping all over the place. And do you know if my daddy wanted to, we could have never went to bed. We could have never went to sleep. He could have kept that fire going as long as he was stirring. Maybe the reason some of us have died down over the years is because we forgot to open up the fireplace of our heart and let the Father reach deep inside to the recesses of where it all started. I want to tell you, the fire ain't gone. The fire ain't dead. It's just died down a little bit. But if you get to stirring that thing in the bottom of who you really are, honey, I want to tell you something. God will bring it back to life, and it may just burn brighter than it's ever burned before. I need somebody to help me stir the fire with some Holy Ghost praise. Go ahead and bless him right there. Go ahead and give him some praise. That fire will spread on anything you give him. Go ahead and give him praise. Bless his holy name. Bless his name. Bless his name. That's in order. 
that's in order. What we've been through as a church, that's in order. What we've been through as people, that's in order. What we've been through as pastors, praise God, Pastor Jeff, that's in order. What you went through, that's in order. Where you been, bless God, anybody from Tacoma that get a hold of Jesus, bless God, you know that's real. You shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. Devil about split y'all up. But bless God, look at what Jesus has done. Look at what God's done. The devil is a liar. He's afraid of our fire because he knows once you stir it up, honey, there ain't no towel where it's going to spread. There is a difference. There is a difference between a fire being in the house and the house being on fire. God can light a fire in a trash can and burn the whole freaking property to the ground. God can start a fire anywhere he wants to. And maybe it's been a long time coming. For I need everybody in this room that's been saved over 10 years to raise your right hand. Right hand. No, you're right, right hand, 10 years. You've been saved over 10 years. Now you have to testify. Would, no, keep it, keep it up. Now if there have been some spots where the fire went out, raise that left hand with that right hand. Now if you're glad that fire can burn again, brighter than it's ever burned before, Keep both hands up and praise him like you lost your mind because today your praise, your glory, your joy is the thing God's going to, I said right now, that glory, that joy, that praise is what God's going to use to stir it back up. Open your mouth and give him some praise. Let God have some kindling wood. Been too long, been too long, been too long. Praise him like it's your last breath. It still burns. It still burns. Jesus. All right, y'all sit down. Y'all sit down. Y'all sit down. Everybody that's been saved less than 10 years, raise your right hand. Now raise your left hand. You ain't been saved enough, long enough for it to go dead. No. No, you take a decade in, you still young. Whatever you got right, I'm looking around this room. Everybody with their hands up. All these people. Look at this. Look at this. Every one of these people right now has still got their fire. They do. I've been watching them. Y'all think I can't see nothing up here. Don't put your, don't put your hands down. You think I can't see nothing up here. I see every time you pick your nose. I see every time you get open your phone. I see every time you look at your husband like you want to kill him. I, I see all of it right here. I see it. The lights are up, y'all. I see it. And I've been watching these babies. I've been watching these youngins. I've been watching these immature, and I say immature respectfully. I've been watching these newborns get it, and I've been watching it get on them. And I'm thankful I go to a church where the next generation is getting a hold of what God's pouring on them. All right, put them down.
went to go pick Hannah up from school. And before I, uh, Jake, come help me close. Before I got there, I, got, I, got, I didn't want to sit in Colorado line for 40 minutes, so I went into the library. And I, I got my laptop out, and I worked on this sermon. I put my headphones in. And I'm sitting there. My, my little YouTube playlist is playing some good worship music. I'm in this library over in the corner by myself, sitting like this with my laptop in my lap. And I'm at this part about the fire burning inside of us. Jesus, take me back to the burn. <laughs> this is Wednesday afternoon. And as I'm at the part about Jesus, take me back to the burn, that song that we sing here at New Grace called Divine Exchange. Charity Gale sings it with some other guy. I don't know his name. They sing it. It's a really good song. I like our version better than any version, but it's a good version. And that thing comes on in my headphones while I'm sitting here working on that sermon. And you don't understand, like when I got saved, I was so glad that Jesus saved me. And I was so caught up with the wonder of it all that I used to go down the road and play whatever music stirred me up. And I'd just drive around Watkinsville like a maniac, shouting, hanging out the window, just giving God all the glory I could. I swear, I'm being dead serious. And over the years, you get good at doing church. You get used to this. And man, 2019, there were seasons of my life where there was nothing stirred, nothing spreading in me. And man, I'm telling you, this church right now, you listen to me, where this church is at, it is right behind where I've been. I can't expect this church to experience something that Ashley and I are not experiencing or have not experienced ourselves. I can't lead you where I haven't been. In the last season of my life, it's been so sweet. Can I, can I confess? It's been so sweet. And now, now that fire that has stirred is spreading and it's getting all over people. It's just, it's just messing with people. It's messing with people. It's stirring. And I'm sitting in this library and that song came on and y'all, I got to go ahead and tell you, being in a library, working on a sermon talking about fire listening to that song was a horrible combination a library was the last place I need to be when the Holy Ghost ran up them headphones into my head I pushed my laptop back I felt my eyes welling up with tears and I had to praise Him I had to I put my hands in the air. I started crying. I started thanking God. I, I thanked Him. And I wrote down in my notes, the fire still burns. It still burns. And I'm trying to be mindful of all these people in here. And I got my hands up and I'm crying. And a lady comes around the corner with a cart. She says, you need any help, honey? I want to rip my headphones out, stand in my chair and go, I'm getting help, honey. I'm getting help. 
I get stirred watching the spread in this room. You know, in the movie theater, when we, when we used to meet in the movie theater, and when we, uh, we met here for the first four years, I stood right here. You know why I stood right here? Not just to get to the stage easy. I stood right here to help teach everybody how to worship. That's right, I'm a worship leader. You won't ever see me up there singing. You won't ever see me up there playing drums. No, I'm a worship leader from right here. I will lead worship from my seat. But I had to lead worship to help teach people by example how you get in God's presence and how to act in God's presence. We clap, we smile, we rejoice, we praise Him with our hands, we shout with our voice, we give God all we can. But do you know over the years, I've been able to just drift on back out of the way. I don't have to do any poking, prodding, stirring. I get to sit over here and just watch these people that I didn't even know a few months ago. Watching God light them up. And when I watch God light you up, you better get out of my way when that starts lighting me up. I hit this pulpit 100 miles an hour because the fire on you is getting on me. The fire is stirred. The fire is spreading. And I'll close with this. This fire, this burn, this burn that will take us back. That's a sanctifying fire. Yes, it's a sanctifying fire. You know how you purge a metal of its impurities? You put it in fire. You can take a conglomerate of six carat gold. I know this. I worked in the precious metals business. So hear me when I say, you can take a conglomerate of six or seven carat gold and you can put that thing in a fire. And in that fire, as the heat increases, all of the dross Proverbs 25, 4. All of the impurities that keep that gold from being as pure as it should be rise to the surface to be removed. And when you remove those impurities, you end up with pure gold. You end up with pure silver. And by the way, you won't find anybody wearing 24 karat gold. You know why they won't wear it? It's too soft. It's too moldable. It's too malleable. That's why everybody in the room that has gold on is wearing 12 karat or 14 karat, maybe 18 karat, but ain't nobody wearing that dainty 24 karat because it's pure. And when it's pure, it's soft. And when it's soft, you can mold it however you want to. You know what I believe God's done with this church? He's lit a fire here that will sanctify and purify the impurities from this congregation and these believers individually. Last week, I don't know about you, but I felt God scraping some dross off this place. How many of you got something last week and God revealed it to you? That fire that got started here, God revealed a stronghold to you and said, let's get that out. Let's get that out. Let's make you soft. Let's make you moldable. Let's get that out of here. Let's get that perverted spirit out of here. Let's get that unclean, foul spirit. Let's get that lying spirit. Let's get that fearful spirit. Let's get that abominable spirit out of here. Let's get that out of here. You know what God's trying to do to get us back? He's lit a fire in this church right now. I can't wait till Wednesday night. 
I can't wait till Wednesday night. I can't wait till the next fifth Sunday. I can't, you don't understand. I, I'm coming here so ready to preach and lead you into God's presence. I can't stand it. Let me tell you something. I want it to get so good. And I know we got discipleship tonight at five o'clock. I'm so excited about the 110 people that are coming for discipleship. I can't wait for all you that registered. I'm proud of you. I'm excited. Those of you who are going to take it next semester, when we have childcare. I'm excited for you too. But I'm going to tell you something. I got to be honest with you. I'm praying for it to get so good and the fire to burn so hot and it purify our flesh so much. The Bible said, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. I'm praying for a fire to burn so bright that at the end of one of our worship gatherings, I'm looking at you and you're looking at me and we're saying to Jesus, abide here with us. Please don't leave. We don't want to go home. We got to get our kids and we got to eat lunch. God, we're going to come back tonight and we're just going to get in your presence and pray. We don't have a sermon plan, we don't have a song plan. We're just going to show up and let you show up and we're just going to get in your presence and let you continue this fire. I'm waiting for that. And we, we were real close a couple weeks ago, we were real close last week. We may be close today. But there is going to come an overflow move of God in this house between 9 and 11. And you and I are going to be looking at each other going, did, did you feel what I feel? Do you have what I have? Is there a burn inside of you? A burn that must constrain God? A burn, a burn that must concern God? A burn that must involve God in what is happening here? Some of you ain't ready for it, but I'm going to tell you something's going to happen. I've been down this road before. We had a Sunday night service in Athens years ago. Robbie remembers this. We had a Sunday night service years ago and it just overflowed. Three hour service from six to nine o'clock. We were wore out, we were tired, but God wasn't done. I looked at them, I said, y'all go to Waffle House, I'll see you at midnight. I left Sunday night, had school the next day, had work the next day. I was sitting down in the church pasture on that property that we had looking at the parking lot at 11.50 and I see cars pulling in. And that same crowd at 6 showed back up six hours later to have a midnight throw down fire Holy Ghost service with God. And this fire, God does not care for this thing to be a couple weeks. It shouldn't end after definition number three. The, the the objective of the book and the bread and the burn is to point you back to Jesus every time and get you back to Jerusalem. Now, I know some of you right now are thinking, it's not going to be the same as it used to be. It's not supposed to be the same as it used to be. It's supposed to be better. Next time you get back in Jerusalem, it ain't going to be like it was. Because the next time you're in Jerusalem, you're going to hang out in that upper room until I fall on you. And when I fall on you and feel you, you're going to have a fire in you that's from another world. Unlike the fire you felt on Emmaus Road. I ain't got time to preach that. Y'all stand up. Come on.